Hello, Saubona, how's it? Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Okay, wonderful. So if you have a Bible, you can open it. I hope you have a Bible this morning because you're going to need it. Um, we are starting a new series on the, on the book of Philippians. And uh, this is going to be probably about a six or seven week journey through this book in the Bible. And um, it is such an amazing book, such a, an incredible book in the Bible. You, you probably know many scriptures in it. And uh, we've called this series Fruitful because that's one of the major themes that comes through this, uh, through this book. And we're going to talk more about that as well. Um, but just to start off, I, you know this book. I'm sure you know this book. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say some scriptures, and then you're going to finish them this morning, just so I can show you how famous this book is, okay? So the first one is this, being confident of this very thing, that he who will will bring it to completion. Okay, what about this one? For me to live is... And to is gain. Eternity matters comes through this book as well. Okay. What about, uh, what about this one? Let this mind be in you, which was in Jesus Christ, who though being in the form of God did not consider it something to be grasped or held onto, but made himself of no reputation, became a human being. And even when found as a human being, humbled himself to the point of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is a come on people the name that's above every other name that at the name of Jesus no no but you're close that at the name of Jesus every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth will bow (laughs) and confess that he is lord okay so you know this one what about rejoice in always and what about this one i can do (laughs) so you guys know the book of philippians another one forgetting those things which are and pressing on to those things which are I press on to lay a hold of the upward call of God, the prize. Yes, forgetting those things which are behind. Okay, so you know that one too. What about be anxious for, but in every circumstance? Okay, now, Some of you can preach this book, you know. I I feel like you got this, okay? You know this book. Some of you are going, (laughs) and that's okay, all right? By the end of this series, you are going to know some of these. In fact, this book is famous. It's it's one of it's one of the most tweeted books, probably. You know, shared whatever, because there's 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 theological truths and depth and riches in this book that are just 
unparalleled. They are, they are worth sharing. They are worth tweeting about. Uh, they are worth writing and putting them into your heart and putting them up on your walls in your house or on your screensavers. This, this book is packed, is what I'm trying to say. So as we go through this book, I want to encourage you, if you um, have a normal like quiet time in the mornings with the Lord, um, I would encourage you why don't you why don't you start the book of Philippians now this week and and journey with us because we're gonna we're gonna preach on it on Sundays and then you know you're gonna be reading it in your own time and uh, and then it'll, you'll just really get the richness out of this also we we will be taking sermon summaries from the these these preachers and sending them to our connect group leaders to do in connect groups as well and so if you're not yet in a connect group then then join a connect group and uh, and then you can even discuss the word with other believers isn't that cool so sometimes it, you know it's how you hear stuff on sunday but then when you go sit with people and you talk about it just like it goes to new levels in your life so we're going to start today but we we're we're not going to go into the book today what we're going to do is i want to give you like an overview and and show you how the church in Philippi started, which means we need to go to the book of Acts this morning. So, so the book of Acts, just for those of you who don't know, is a record, like a storybook of, of how the apostles went around the world sharing the gospel and planting churches. And in there we can see, in the book of Acts, we can see that Paul went on this journey to this place called Philippi, and it wasn't only Paul, it was Silas, it was Timothy and Luke with him as well. And they went to the city called Philippi, and they began to preach the gospel there, and stuff happened there. We're going to go read about what happened there. And I've got some pictures this morning to show you of Philippi as well. So we're going to, we're going to get some history, we're going to get some culture, we're going to really understand who, what, who, this, who the people were that this letter was written to. Because sometimes you can read a letter, a book in the Bible, and it's just like you, you, know, it's a, you don't know the context and the story behind it. But there's, there's an incredible story behind this book and, and this church and, and why Paul was writing to them. So we're going to go look at all of that this morning um, in the book of Acts. But just so you know, this, this church was started by Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Okay? The four of them were on a journey. And... And they, they started this church, and then they moved on to other cities. And many years later, Paul ended up in prison and was in Rome. And the church in Philippi, the city of Philippi, the Philippians, right, they heard that Paul was in prison. And so they took Epaphroditus, which is the name of a person, <laughs> I know it sounds like one of those, like, you know, those names of, like, where you go walking through the park and you look on the trees and you see the name of a tree. I mean, who named trees? The, the, like, those people, you know what I mean? They're, the trees have the worst names ever. You know, they're like Theo, Wata, Nata, Noriana. Well, you know, like, who's going to remember that, you know? So they just called it, like, Bob, or, or anyway. But anyway, so there's this guy. <laughs> in this church, and he's a leader in the church, and his name is, unfortunately, Epaphroditus. And, um, and they say, Epaphroditus, they, they take up an offering. I don't know whether it was food, money, whatever. They give, get this big gift together. They give it to Epaphroditus, and they send Epaphroditus to Rome to give it to Paul, who's in prison, right? Just to bless Paul. And Paul is so blessed by this gift, and uh, Epaphroditus stays with him, Epaphroditus gets sick, like really sick, almost dies. 
But then God saves him and heals him. And then Paul sends Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi with this letter that he wrote in prison for them to thank them for the gift and to encourage them in their faith. Okay, so that's, that's the context of how this, this story happened. But now to, to give you like a little bit more of the, the depth and the richness of this, I want to show you a map this morning so you can see where Philippi is. Okay? So there we have a map of Greece and Turkey and Italy over there. And what you will notice is there's this big red line going across uh, Macedonia all the way to Turkey, modern-day Istanbul. And that red line is actually a highway that the Romans built. It was called the Via Ignatia or the Ignatian Way. It was a highway, kind of like the N1, N2, N3, okay? And as you can see, that highway went through certain cities. And so that highway was the main route that Rome would travel. Roman soldiers, Roman supplies, Roman government, they would travel along that highway to get to the Middle East, to Jerusalem and further, wherever the Roman Empire was in the east. That was their main route over there. There was another one, the Via Appia, which is, from, is the purple line that goes from Brindisi all the way to Brindisi. Eh? Brindisi is a beautiful. Eh? Uh, we'd go from Brindisi all the way to, to Rome. Okay, so there was another highway going all the way out. But if you look, you, can you see where Philippi is over there? It's just slightly inland from a port over there, which is called Kavala. Now, in the Bible, that, that name, this is in Greece, okay, that name has changed, all right? Um, it's no, in the Bible, it's not Kavala, it's Neapolis. And we're going to read about Neapolis just now. We're going to go see this. And, um, and so Philippi was, was linked to that city of, that port city of Kavala, and it was slightly inland, and we're going to, let me take a, let me show you a picture of Philippi, okay? Let's, let's go. You've got a picture of Philippi. That is standing up on a hill looking down on the city of Philippi. It um, is, is no longer a city anymore. It's just ruins. But the ruins are well preserved. So you can get a very good idea of what life was like in Philippi. If you, stand, if you go there and you can do a tour and you can walk through all those different places. Um, can you see the Via Ignatia going straight through the Ignatian Way? Can you see the highway? It literally goes straight through the city. So how many of you know these like towns on the N2 or the N3 or whatever? You, you Sometimes the, the main road of the town, like I know like in Hermanus is the, I mean not in Hermanus, in Neisner is the, is, is the highway as well. And, it's, and it's, it's horrible because everything slows down. Yeah. Eastern Cape is like that too. You know what I mean? Like you are enjoying this highway and then everything slows down and there's traffic lights and it's, you know, you've got to go through. So this highway went straight through this town. The big square in, um, I mean, rectangle in the middle of it, there's the forum or the agora. And that was typical of Roman cities. You would have this uh, agora. And, and what it was, was this open air, um, basically market. And around it, there would be, there would be buildings, administrative buildings, governmental buildings, uh, there would be shops, there would be the judgment seat or the beamer of the town would be in that place. And it was really the hub of where everything happened in the town, where, where buying and selling happened. It's the place that Paul and Silas got dragged to and beaten publicly was right there, okay, in that square, over that rectangle over 
in that place. And, and then you'll see over there's an arrow pointing to the prison, the possible prison site where, where Paul was actually thrown into prison. And we're going to go and, and read about that now. So all of that, just to give you an idea of the fact that this is a real city with real people that Paul is, is writing to. There's another picture here of the theater that they had. They enjoyed their entertainment. Um, and uh, that theater was later con- was built by the Greeks, but later converted by the Romans for gladiator games. All right, so the gladiator games used to happen there. But if if you look through the city and you walk through the ruins, it's you'll see it's a typical Greek city that's been colonized by Rome. So there's a lot of Greek there, but there's a lot of Rome there, stamping their authority. Um, and it was a colony. It re- literally was. They were colonized by by Rome, and um, you will see it's a typical Greek city in the fact that they have many. Uh, pagan gods, statues, idols that they worship. You'll see them all over that place, uh, and you read about them in the book of Acts as well. Um, so it was a city that, where, where the gospel hadn't penetrated, there was no synagogue in that city either. So there weren't enough Jews living there to actually have a synagogue. So it was, a, it was really the first city that the gospel landed in Europe um, how am I saying this? It was the first city where the gospel landed in Europe, was the city of Philippi. And it was the head city of the, that region. So let's go to the book of Acts, and let's now, knowing all of that, kind of look, at, look for it in, in, in the scriptures here. So we're going to start in verse 16, and blessed are those who have a Bible, otherwise you can just listen up. Chapter 16, verse 6. So let's, yeah, let's go there. Verse 6. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood, so this is the vision he's having, stood pleading with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, Maybe we can just look at the map over here of Paul's missionary journey. Have you got it up there? Okay, there, this is Paul's journey. So those are all the places in Asia where he was going through. Then they went to Troas. We're reading about Troas right now. And from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. <laughs> and the next day, we came to Neapolis, which is Kavala, modern-day Kavala, which is actually a thriving port city today. Neapolis. And from there, we went to Philippi, which is, look at what he says, the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Let's just pause for a moment here. Doesn't this be quite an interesting story of like 
how Paul and these guys are on this mission journey for Jesus. They're like, we know Jesus has called us to go and to share the gospel. So they try to go to Asia, and the Spirit's like, mm-mm. Then they try to go to this place, and the Spirit's like, mm-mm. And then they try to go here, and mm-mm. And then they get this vision and this, uh, this man in Macedonia saying, come, come over here. And then they're like, okay, that's it. Isn't that like really a story of our lives? Hey, we, we're all, you know, we're the same. Like, Lord, where, where, what must I be doing right now? And the Spirit's like, no. And sometimes we're getting blocked, and sometimes we're getting blocked. And then the Spirit's like, over here, you know? So this, I want you to notice right up, right from the start, this, this, this church is God calling the gospel into this, into this city. Okay, this is, this is a spirit-led journey. This is really a journey where the spirit is leading Paul and these missionaries and saying, I want you to come to this place. Okay, so God is beckoning them into this place. Now, often we think that that means everything's going to go great. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't always work like that. Hey, okay, so let's carry on reading from verse 13. It says, on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spake to a woman who, who we met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia. Can you say Lydia? Lydia. Okay, this is important. We're going to come to Lydia. We'll come back to her just now. Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Tyatira who worshipped God. Now, she didn't have, like, the copyright on the color purple, okay? When it says that she was a seller of purple, what it means is that she was a seller of purple clothing, okay? And that is there to give us an idea of who this woman is, okay? What, what does it mean to be a seller of purple clothing in those days? It meant that you... Purple clothing, to give you an idea, dyeing clothes was not an easy task. Red was easy to get because you could get it from various clay sources, soil sources, and stuff like that. But purple was a color that only came from a particular source, and it was really expensive and a very costly process to do it. So what we're hearing here is that Lydia had a fashion boutique. (laughs) All right? She... She, was a, she had expensive linens. She was a trader in expensive linens. And, uh, you're, and, and so we get the idea that she must have been a wealthy businesswoman. That's what, that's what it's conveying to us. The fact that her husband is never mentioned here is possibly that the fact that she might have been a widow. Maybe it was her husband's business. Maybe she took over it. I don't know what it was. But, but, but in those days, it's not, it's not normal. Okay, So the fact that she... She's, she's a businesswoman, all right? And she's got a bit of an empire going here, okay? And it also mentions that she, she worshipped God, which means she, she didn't know the gospel because the gospel hadn't come there. But she was possibly a follower. She's Greek, we know that by her name. But she's possibly a follower of Judaism, of monotheism. So she has this concept of God, but it's maybe a religious concept. Maybe it's like, like this is... This is you know, this is the one I like. You know, this is the one I'm, I'm, I'm more acquainted with. We, we, we're not too sure, okay, who worship God. And while Paul is there, okay, it says they went out on the Sabbath day. So people obviously met there down by this river and they would pray there. And Paul goes down there 
and he begins to preach the gospel. When it says that he sat down, that, that's customary for Jew, in Jewish rabbis. What they do is they always sit down to teach. Okay, so you can see I'm not really <laughs> Jewish rabbi because I wander around while I preach. But they, he sat down, which means he began to teach or share the gospel. What did he share? I'm pretty sure he was doing a BFC. Um, but but then, he, so while he's preaching. Look at what it says there. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. She got born again. Something incredible happened in her life. She heard the message that Paul was preaching. She had a foundation of who God was. But in that moment, God became real and alive to her and she knew who God was. Um, And when she and her household were baptized, which means that, so she believed but then she was like, no, this is not just believing, but this is now following as well. I'm going to follow God. And it's not only me, but it's my home, which could have incorporated her servants, her, her employees, her cousins, and whoever was living with her, okay? Her whole house got baptized, all right? Guys, I want you to know the gospel is not just for us, it's for our families too, amen? So, we, you know, we trust God for whole families. We want to see whole families worshiping God on Sundays, Amen. So a whole house comes in, all right? They all get baptized. And then look at this. And then she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, this is not, we're going to come back here, okay? So I'm just going to leave it over there. Um, but, but just to give you an idea, this is a picture of the place of prayer that Paul uh, was possibly going to, if, if you wouldn't mind putting it up there. So there's the river, and, and this is known as the place of prayer. And, uh, and this is typically what Christians did in the early centuries as we, we build shrines around holy places, okay? So they've built this like little amphitheater over there and this little shrine over there, and you can actually go and get baptized in that river today. But that's pretty much probably where Paul was, was preaching and where Lydia and her family got baptized at that very spot. Um, so let's carry on reading from verse 16. That's encounter number one. All right? First encounter in Philippi, Lydia. Second one. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, um, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Now, can we just pause there for a moment? A slave girl. Slavery was really common in those days. Okay, um, and what we see here, this this is a slave girl. The fact that she's a girl means she's young. Okay, not a woman. She's she's a girl. She's young and she's a slave, and it's telling us that she's possessed by a spirit of divination. So something was. She, this girl's possessed. She's in she's in two types of slavery. She's in slavery to, to Satan, okay, and an evil spirit. And she's in slavery to earthly masters who are making a whole lot of money out of her. So I want you to know this is like an example of human trafficking right here. I mean, we have this on our streets. We have lots of young women who are actually held captive by pimps who are earning a lot of money for their bosses out of the things that they can do for clients. So this is... Uh, pretty much the same thing happening. So, you know, just keep that in mind as we carry on. And she, this girl followed Paul and us, 
and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So this is, you know, this is, a, this is an interesting story, and this is really a sermon on its own. Um, you know, sometimes we, we, we're hearing the right thing, but the source of where it's coming from is not right. The spirit behind it is not right. And Paul was gifted in discernment. He, this, everything she was saying was right. These are the men of the Most High God, yeah. telling the way to salvation. This is totally true. But this was more of like a distraction thing. This was like more of actually an irritation thing. This was actually something that was messing up Paul's meetings. This was something like while Paul is trying to have a moment to share and to preach, there is this loud voice that keeps coming, you know, and, and it's saying the right thing. So nobody wants to say, stop it. Um, but the source where it's coming from is wrong. And this is something we, we know, okay? We, we see this today. And so through discernment, he was able to know the spirit that was on this girl. He rebukes it, and she's gloriously set free. She is delivered. Um, and that's the last we hear of her. So we don't really know what happens to her thereafter, but I, I believe she went on to join the church and grow. I'm, I'm hoping for all of that because there was, a, you know, there was a company of believers at this point. Lydia's house was open. She was having church in her house. You know, so I'm thinking these, these guys took her in. Okay, anyway, so um, it's hard to imagine the slave girl's life, but it just, behind, just near this river, I don't know if you can see in the background over there, there is a church that church is built to commemorate Lydia. Okay, they call it Lydia's church. If you go into the church, you'll see there's this beautiful painting on the ceiling. I'll show you now. Um, and part of one of those paintings is the story of Paul casting the demon out of this girl. Okay, and there the girl is represented as having a dragon around her, possessed, obviously, the satanic spirit, you know, the spirit being the dragon. And then Paul casting it out, the dragon leaving. And she is then in the next picture gloriously set free with trees around her and, and in a new place, you know, with God. So that story is there just to commemorate what, what actually happened. Um, so let's carry on reading from verse 19. Verse 19, it says, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace. Where's the marketplace? Do you remember? The Agora, the Forum, that, that big rugby field uh, rectangle. Thank you, Lord, for helping us in the rugby yesterday. That big rugby, I just had to throw in rugby somewhere in the sermon today. <laughs> um, so into the marketplace, so into that big square, okay, drag them in there. So this is like a mob riot taking place. And they said the following. Brought them to the magistrates, because remember there were magistrates' buildings around that square. And they said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans to receive and, or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes 
and commanded them to be beaten with rods. So they were stripped naked. And then they were beaten with rods. How many of you were, um, I don't know if I was going to say, how many of you grew up in corporal punishment days? Lang is like, every black home is a corporal punishment home. <laughs> you know, I, I, I went to an all-boys school, and, uh, and, and we used to get caned, all right? They, and our headmaster and some of our teachers would do the caning, and they had these, these long canes, like they were rods. And... Um, and, and they would give us like two of the best or three of the best or whatever, depending on your crime that you committed. And, uh, and I won't tell you how many I got. But what, <laughs> what I do know is that two or three was enough. The message got across very quickly. Some of those canes, you know, they were, they were literally like bamboo sticks and there would be there would be parts where nodes where the bam, a branch was broken off it, you know, to get it. So that node would hit you on one of your buttocks, all right. So you would have this line across your bottom, and one of those nodes where it hit, you would get this round blue circle, you know. Um, and uh, and let me tell you, so just two or three of those, and you. You would say, thank you, sir. You'd walk out the office, and then you would run because there was nothing else you could do but just run because the pain, the burning, the sensation was just hectic, you know? So I, I reflect on my early days, and I, and, I, and I look at this. These guys were beaten with rods. Like, this wasn't one or two. This was continuous. This wasn't just on the buttocks. This was all over the body. Okay. In fact, this task in the Roman Empire was given to somebody, to a professional. They had professional beaters. They called them, I think, the lecterns or the, the lecters or something like that. They, they were really professional beaters. They were like, okay, he has a crime. Call the beater. Okay. The beater would come and he was like, okay, step aside people, you know, choosing his weapon of choice. But, and like, and he would, they would be professionally beaten, you know? So this was, you know, it's not like the career you want to grow up to. Like, you know, one day I'm going to be a beater, you know what I like? But this was the, the society in which they lived, okay? So they got beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, some versions say when they had severely beaten them, they threw them into prison. You saw where the prison was. Commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So naked, beaten, now in chains. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Beaten, in chains, unfairly tried, midnight, the darkest hour, probably the time where we would be like, Jesus, why don't you love me? You told me to come to Macedonia, and now look at what has happened. 
They were praying and singing praise unto God. Why would they do that? Well, because I think Jesus told us, you know, when you're ridiculed for the sake of the gospel, rejoice. For great is your reward in heaven, he said. And so they just, these are followers of Jesus, okay? They're just showing that. And so I want you to see just tremendous fruit coming out of Paul and Silas. Okay, remember the series is called Fruitful. Tremendous fruit coming out of them in prison, okay? Um, and then while they're singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, I'm sure they were, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed i mean i don't know what kind of earthquake does that like just shakes just at the right frequency vibration whatever just so that the door opens and the chains come off People, I want you to know just the power of praising and worshiping God, even in the midst of your dark circumstances. I'm telling you now, if you're going through stuff this morning, if you're in a dark place, if you've been beaten by life in some particular way, I want to say, let a song come out of you. Let a praise come out of you and watch your circumstance change. Chains breaks. Look at this earthquake happening. This is like, I, I imagine this is God saying, you know what? I cannot... I cannot just stand silent. I cannot ignore what's happening here. I'm going to shake that prison and let my children free. You know, and, and the doors open. The chains fall off. The keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, like, let's just get into the psychology of that for a moment. This is called a job, what, like, you know when you fear your, your, your boss so much <laughs> that you're willing to fall on your own sword because you think that's better than falling on his sword. I mean, later we're going to see now, this is a family man. He has a wife and kids. And in this moment, he's terrified he's going to fall on his own sword. So I kind of I get the, I don't know, there's bondage here too, okay? But... Paul, with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And then he called for a light. He ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So something happened in this earthquake, people. Something, Philippi was shaken. The prison doors came out. God released his apostles, his evangelists, his prophets, released them. And, and the chains come off them. And this God knew, this guard knew that God was present. I mean, the fact that he's asking for salvation. I'm like, Lord, let's see these days again. You know? I mean, I remember my first day in campus ministry. I went to the campus office. I'm like, okay, we're going to do this thing, campus ministry. And somebody knocked on the door and said, I want to give my life to God. And I was like, Awesome. And we prayed a sinner's prayer, and then we prayed for them to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they got baptized in the Holy Spirit and said thank you and went back to lectures. <laughs> I was like, I could do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> this is good. I mean, this, this is what this is. You know, he's asking for salvation. Okay. Um, so, so he fell down trembling 
we get an idea of Paul's state in prison again. In prison in Philippi, what was he doing? Singing praise and winning the jailer to the Lord. What do you think Paul was doing in prison in Rome? Singing praise and willing all the jailers to the Lord as well. And we get, we get a picture of that in this book. It actually shows us. I'll show you some scriptures of how Paul was doing it. But, I, but what I want you to know is just this incredible fruit that's coming out of Paul. He is not a victim of life. He is not a victim of his circumstances. He is not living from the outside in. He's living from the inside out. And in the midst of severe persecution, joy is coming out of him. Praise is coming out of him. Evangelism is coming out of him. And fruit, he's fruitful despite his circumstances. All of us would probably look at Paul and say, you know what, you're excused. Just sit in the corner and cry. Somebody help this guy. But he doesn't need help. He's got something on the inside of him, a power from God that is helping him to live above and beyond what he's experiencing in that moment. So incredible. What was happening? In fact, joy is mentioned like 15 or 16 times in this book alone, and it's only four chapters long. You know, so joy is a major theme in this book. We're going to talk about joy as we go through this series, okay? But this is, we see joy coming out of him. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Look at this scripture in, in Philippians 1, verse 12 to 3. This is in the first chapter now. Now he says, now I want you to come up. You got it? Not there? The next one? <clears throat> There we go. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, this is in Rome now, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is being preached in this jail, baby. <laughs> Jesus is getting out, all right? Jesus is not in chains. The gospel is not in chains. I am, but the gospel isn't. And then look at chapter 4, we get an idea of what else is happening. It says, all the saints here wish to be remembered to you, especially those of Caesar's household. That tells us that even in Caesar's home, people were getting saved. Because Paul was in Rome. Guys, I, I don't know if we're getting this. Rome, I want you to know, is like the den, the, the dragon's den. That's what Rome is, okay? It's the, it's the place from which the, the military power, the political power of the entire like, civilized world at that point was, was centralized in Rome. I mean, we're talking about a, a culture that is steeped in, in what it knows uh, and what it believes uh, and what it does. And now you want to bring the gospel there. And people in the household of Caesar are getting saved. And the Roman God, the palace God, the palace God is getting saved. I want you to know this. This gospel is for everyone. You might look at your world around you and go, I can't share the gospel here. And this person is like, you know, they're, they're like a palace God. You know, don't go near the palace guard. And Caesar's house, those are the political guys. We can't really share the gospel with the political guys because they're all, you know, you're honorable this, you're honorable that, you know. So they, they, don't, they don't get that. I want you to know this gospel's for everyone, okay? 
So incredible fruit coming out of Paul while he's writing this. Um, we also see from this church, I want to draw your attention to Philippians 4.15. It'll come up there. It says, um, th- this church was incredibly generous, right? They, they had a gift of giving. Verse 15 says, can we read it together? It's up there. Go for it. Now you... When I departed from Macedonia, no church receiving, but you only. For even not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Okay. So what, what, what I want you to notice there is that not one church shared with him except these guys. So the church in Philippi was a generous church. There was the fruit of generosity coming out of them, okay? And look at what Paul says. No, I'm not seeking gifts, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Listen, whenever we give, it's, it's never, man, it's, it's always coming back <laughs> and abounding to our account, okay? Um, and, and this was something that was, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't just concern for Paul and love for Paul, but it was, it was almost as if this church really, from the foundation of its starting, understood the value of taking the gospel to the nations. This was a church that had bought into the idea that the gospel doesn't just stay with us, but it's got to go to Umtata too. But it's, it's also got to go to Malawi, and it's got to go to China, and it's got to go there. So we've got to get together, and we've got to sow funds into this thing so that we can go and start more churches in all these other cities, okay? Why do I know that? Well, because in chapter 1, verse 45, it says this. It says, in all my prayers, I make mention of you. I always pray with joy, again, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay, so from day one, they were opening their homes to Paul, okay? And all the way now, many years later, while he's in Rome, they are still partnering with Paul to see other churches formed in other places and other cities. So, so what happened on the first day? That's what I want us just to go back to for a moment, and we'll wrap this morning. What happened on the first day? Well, this was the, t- the day that they went into Lydia's house, so... I want us to look at Acts 16, 15. Can we just look at that scripture? This generosity is amazing. And I think it's worth jumping into for a moment. Are we there? It says, let's read together. The Lord opened her heart. To heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. This is the first day. Okay? I want you to notice that, so this is four complete strangers. Paul, men. Okay, for men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, traveling together 
in the city preaching the gospel. And here's possibly a widow, a single woman, opening up her house to four men. Can we just try and imagine doing that today? Single ladies in the house? Where are the single ladies? Come on, all the single ladies? Yeah. Okay. Can you imagine opening your house to four strangers that have arrived in town? I want you to know, this is something strange. Even in those days, this is like really, can you see that she persuaded them? In other words, they were like, no, 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 no. Like really, we don't want that reputation. We don't want, you know, this is not how, you know, this is, she persuaded them. She was a good businesswoman, yeah. <laughs> but but, but I, I want you to know, this is, this is not a normal thing. This is hospitality, generosity on another level. Okay, even in our times, what's the key here? The Lord opened her heart, and she opened her home. Open heart, open home. Let's carry on further. Let's look at 32, verse 32. It says, now when they had spoken the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, this is the jailer, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And then he put food before them and brought them into his home. This is another incredible act of generosity, hospitality, compassion coming out of a jailer. This is kind of like coming out of a beta. All right, nobody grows up saying, I want to be the jailer. You know, like, like you know, you're not known. It's not like, oh, you know what, Sobs is so compassionate, it's so kind. Let's make him the jailer. You know, the guy who got the job as the jailer was the guy who didn't mind putting chains on people and throwing them into a cell and locking it. Okay, we, we're not talking about a church-going guy here, people. We're not talking about a guy who's like well-trimmed, around the edges, educated, smart. You know, we're talking about the jailer who sits on that chair all day and tells prisoners to keep quiet and eat what's set before you. You know, lights out. <laughs> we, we, we're talking about that guy. Okay, that guy. And what is he doing? He's cleaning Paul's and Silas's wounds. You know, this is his boss wouldn't be happy with that right there. His culture would not be happy with that right there. Society at large was all in the forum that day. The agora, they would not be happy with what he, he was doing. Something counterculture, something radical here. But, but why? Well, because something happened to him. Something, this gospel got into his heart. God touched his heart and once again opened his home. So what we see here is the, the result of hospitality, generosity, compassion, partnership with the gospel all started with hearts that were changed. Can you remember... The day when your heart was touched by Jesus. Or a day when Jesus touched your heart. And you were moved to do something beautiful like these people were. 
I, don't, I remember the day I came to, to my pastor and I just said, everything I have belongs to the church. I'm here. I'm sold out. Let's do this thing. I remember I was just moved by God to give my life fully to the gospel. Maybe you were moved in a particular way and you like, you signed up for compassion ministry or you, you I'm going to join the worship team or I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all of this to, to God, to his work, or I'm going to, Lord, send me to the nations, you know. Do, do you remember the day that you gave it all to the Lord, the day where you were touched and, and you were moved with compassion and you stepped out and did something that was counter-counter, counter normal, not even maybe rational, not even something that was, you know, predictable by society, maybe something that was just, and you were like, Jesus, it's for you. Maybe you opened your home, maybe you were like, you gathered people, maybe, I don't know, what, what did you do? It was all because God touched your heart. The word open in there is the word diagnoigo. Dia something like that. And it means this. It means to open thoroughly or literally as a firstborn. So this type of opening is an opening that births something, that releases something, that produces fruit. And the reason for it is because the, the, the heart was touched and stirred in a particular way. And so the, the point here is that Open hearts result in open homes, result in open hands, result in open wallets, result in open lives, result in open schedules. It results in us being open. Openness starts uh, in the heart. And fruitfulness flows from our hearts. If your heart is open then your life becomes open. If you had to do a fruitfulness scan of your life right now, you know, like you go to the doctor and you do like a, like a CT scan or whatever. They, if you did a fruitfulness scan, just take a moment and like what fruit is coming out of you in the terms of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. What, what fruit are you producing? How big is your fruit there? And what about also in, in terms of the gospel, in partnering with the gospel? What is the fruit there in your life in terms of making disciples, reaching lost people? If you did a fruitfulness scan and you had to score yourself on your fruitfulness scan out of 10 in those areas, I can tell you now that what you're actually doing is a heart scan. And you're measuring how open your heart is to God. Because if your heart is open, everything else is open. Okay, fruitfulness starts in the heart. That's why Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart because everything you do flows from the heart. Okay? So, you know, when I read this, I was like, Lord, open my heart. <laughs> open my heart. Let me get back to that place where it's all for you, Jesus. Where, my, where I'm just like, because, you know, you called us to bear fruit, but, but and the fruitfulness starts in the heart. It starts with my heart being open. Then, Lord, open up my heart. Come do to me what you did to Lydia and to this jailer so that I can bear the fruit that you want to see in my life. 
You know, and, and when I looked into this and I started reading this and I started looking at the rest of Scripture, what I noticed was that what happened with Lydia was definitely a God thing. Okay, it was definitely like this was a God thing. This was an anointed moment. This was, this was something. But what I noticed when I started looking up our hearts in Scripture, and the Bible talks a lot about the heart, what I noticed is that actually our hearts are our responsibility. Take a look at some of these scriptures. In the Bible, it says we are called to guard our hearts. What does that mean? It means decide what comes in and goes out. Make sure what's going in is good. Guard. Okay? It says in Joel 2 that we are meant to rend our hearts. That is another word for tear. Tear your hearts. In that passage, Joel was saying, rend your hearts, not your garments. And what he was saying to the generation there was, in Jewish culture, they had this common thing that when you repent, you tear your clothes. You know, it was, it was to show your inner brokenness. And he was saying, don't just tear your clothes on that, do something on the outside, do it on the inside. And what he was literally saying is, is rip your heart apart. You know, take it apart, uproot it, get what, just, it's hard, it's stubborn, it's whatever, it's bound, rend it before God. And it's interesting how it says, you rend it. <laughs> you rend your heart, rend it, tear your heart, say no heart, you will not be like this. You will not be stubborn, you will not be unresponsive, you will not be given to sin. I rip this out, I am for the Lord. James 4, it says, purify your hearts. You know, which, which really is, is, is about getting rid of stuff in there that shouldn't be in there. Unforgiveness, bitterness, hurt, whatever it is, just disappointment. Get it out. Purify it. In, James, in Hebrews 3, 7, it says, do not harden your hearts. In other words, a hard heart is your choice. <laughs> you know, often we walk around like wounded soldiers saying, my heart is hard. Yeah, you chose. So yeah, life happened, but you chose. Hard, it says, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts, as they did in, in, in the Old Testament and how they tested God. Your know, hardness of heart is, is something that you choose. Okay? And, it's, and the encouragement of Scripture is don't have a hard heart. We are called, commanded to love God with all of our heart. In other words, like, make sure your, heart, your whole heart is loving him. So when I read this again, I see, you know, Lydia had something to do with this moment. There was something in her, I don't know what it was, she was at the place of prayer on the Sabbath, which means I think she's looking. She was a believer. She knew God. So there, I believe there was some sort of hunger in her, some sort of seeking, some sort of desiring. And when Paul shared the gospel, the seed of the gospel, it landed on fertile soil, and immediately there was a reaction and a fruitfulness that came from her heart. You know, in Mark 4, Jesus talks about our hearts being like soil and the word being like seed. And he says, depending on what type of soil the seed lands on, it will bear fruit. If the soil is hard, then the seed won't bear fruit on that ground. There's nothing wrong with the seed. It's the condition of the soil that determines the level of fruitfulness that comes. Which is the condition of our hearts determines the level of fruitfulness that we step into, people. So it's the word in our hearts 
that produces fruit, but it's the condition of our heart. What is the condition of my heart? Is my heart open? Is it soft? Is it pliable? Is it ready for God? Or is it hard, skeptical, doubting? And what I know is, is for many of us, we start off our walks with God fully, Jesus. <laughs> it's all on the line. The money, the house, the whatever, Jesus, it's all. But then life happens. Then life happens, and we get hurt, we get disappointed, people take advantage of us, we get offended, maybe some sort of secret sin creeps in as well, and before long, it's not long before we are, our hearts are not as willing as what they were when the day we first believed. What I like about this church is he says to them, from the first day until now you have partnered with me in this area. Which means that from that day until then, they had kept their heart right in that area. And then therefore he can say, I'm confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will, will bring it to completion. Okay? So I know a lot of people start off, Jesus, everything, and then life happens. This, this, two, a week or two, two weeks ago, I met this guy on the south coast. And he was selling me timeshare, trying to. So the conversation started, the meeting started with, so what do you do? And then we never spoke about timeshare again. <laughs> and it ended up with prayer and everything. It was awesome. And eventually it was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to sell you this. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to buy that. <laughs> it was like, cool, let's go. <laughs> um, so it was a God moment. But you know what this guy told me his story? Because I told him what I do, and he said, oh, I'm a backslider. So I said, what do you mean you're a backslider? How's that working out for you? <laughs> and then he told me, well, why he's a backslider. And he said, you know what? I used to preach the gospel on the streets in Durban. I said, really? He said, yeah, I used to finish work every day. I'd hit the streets, and I'd share the gospel with people. In the evenings, we had prayer. I even became a lay preacher in my church. I said, so what happened to you? He said, well... You know, the church I was in just became suddenly all about money. Pastor became about money. Next thing he was driving this car, da da da. And I, I just, I challenged him. He wouldn't listen to me. Um, I joined another church, and their leadership was like similar. It became all about this. And then I was just, just I just thought, you know, sack this. You know, forget about the church. And for years, he has been in a place where he hasn't been to church for years. His whole family goes to church. They're all praying for him. So obviously that was a God moment for him. But, but I thought that's, that's sometimes how this thing goes. Is we start with this, he was on the street sharing the gospel after work every day. I said to him, what, what has happened to you? You need to get back to your first love, man. It's not about the church. It's not about this person. It's not about you. That offense is in your heart, that bitterness in your heart. You've got to get rid of it right now, dude. And we prayed right then and there for it. You know, because it had corrupted his heart. He didn't guard his heart. You know, this gospel is not about the church and the pastor and the this and the that and the whatever. That, it's the Jesus, man. <laughs> it's Jesus saving people, healing people, delivering people, giving them purpose and destiny. That's what this thing is. You know? And, but but he, somehow the heart had become closed. And when the heart closes, the fruit stops. The fruit stops came to a point a number of years ago where 
man, I, I was burned from ministry and I was hurt by people. And uh, something happened in my heart. I just closed. I was just like, I was going through the motions. But I was just like, I'm not giving anything to anyone. I'll do my job. But like, you're not getting much from me. Because I was hurt. And one day I went for this appointment <laughs> with someone. And I was doing my job. But uh, you know, that's all you get from me. I just do my job. And he began to tell me his story. And through his story, God broke my heart open again. I sat in my car and I wept like a baby and I phoned my wife and I was just like, babe, I have my heart back. <laughs> I got it back. I don't know what happened in that moment. It was a God moment, but I got my heart back. You know, some of us here, we've been hurt by people. Maybe you've been hurt by people in the church. Maybe you've been hurt by life or disappointments in life. Maybe you're trusting God and things haven't worked out the way you thought they would work out. You don't have what you thought you would have by this stage of your life or what God promised hasn't yet materialized. What do you do with that? Makes all the difference. I want to say to you, don't let that stay in your heart. Rather bring your heart to Him and say, Lord, heal my heart because I want to live open. I want to live a fruitful life. I want to live like Paul, where it doesn't matter what's happening to me on the outside. All you're going to get is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of me, generosity coming out of me, love coming out of me, compassion coming out of me, everything coming out of me. But it all starts with, you know, where's your heart? Let's just pray. Some of you need a heal of the heart this morning. Lord, I pray just right now, Come, Holy Spirit, and heal every heart that's been disappointed and hurt and damaged. And Lord, I pray right now, just you know how to do this. You know how to get us back to that place where we open again to you. Come and touch every life. I want to leave you with this picture this morning. Take a look at this, this picture on the, on the AV. That is a picture of a flower, okay, opening and closing. Have you ever wondered why flowers open and close? Do you know why? They close, right, because they're trying to protect their pollen at night because dew lands on it and then it'll mix with the pollen and then they won't be able to reproduce. The pollen is all they have to survive with. And so that night... When there's no insects, they close to protect what is there. But you know, this is a picture I feel for some of you this morning. You know, when the flower is open, its colors are there, its fragrance is there, it's just beautiful, it's large, it's like, what do you need? I can help. My home is available. You know, what, do you need a ride? I'll give you a ride. It's just, it's just who needs to give? How much? I'll, I'll be the first to give. It's that... It's this open, you know, this flower is open. The color, the fragrance is awesome. But then what happens is hurt comes, stuff comes, and it closes to protect. Okay, night comes, and it closes to protect. And typically, we do the same. We close our hearts to protect the little that we have. 
we feel like this is all I got, so I got to look after this. I got to protect me. I want you to know this morning that that's wrong thinking. Okay? According to Jesus, you don't have a little, you've got a lot. You've got a lot to give. You've got a lot of love to share. You've got a big God living on the inside of you. You've got an amazing God who can give to the world, man. You've got a lot. So it's a lie of the enemy that you've only got a little. Okay? Jesus said this. He said, if you hold on to your life, you lose it. Lose what? The big, amazing, generous life that I've called you to live on this earth. And this is how some people, we, we're living like this. We, we've closed, just protecting my home, my, my little whatever, because we're worried that this is all we've got. We're holding on. And Jesus is saying, you cannot hold on to it if you want to live the life I've called you. You've got to live open. Whoever tries to hold on to their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Will find what? This amazing, generous fruitful life that I've called you to live. So the point is we've, we've got to we've got to lose our lives. We've got to open our hearts to the Lord and allow Him to live through us and allow His fragrance to come through us. There was this I don't know if I can share this. We arrived. One, one, one more example, and we're going to wrap. There were these, these guys who decided to do an experiment on pastors. <laughs> okay. At the seminary, there were a number of pastors training to become pastors and graduate from seminary. And at seminary, they decided to set a test before them. And they said this, guys, next week, Tuesday at 9 a.m., you're going to have to preach a sermon to the entire board. All right, we're going to judge you on the sermon. It's going to count heavily towards your end of year results. So this is an important thing. At nine o'clock next week, Tuesday, and it has to be on the Good Samaritan. Okay, you know the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan, the guy who's beat up on the side of the road and no one tried to help him except one person. So what they did was, so they said that's what the sermon topic is. So everybody went to prepare. When they arrived at 9 a.m., they had two, two, two different groups. The one group, they said, sorry, the venues moved to the other side of campus, like right on the other side of campus. Um, and you're late. You need to be there now. And on the way to that other venue, they stationed a beggar. <laughs> How's that for a test? <sighs> who was in need, who needed help. Someone who was injured and needed help. It's an actor, Okay. And then they told another group, and they said to the other group, listen, it's on the other side of the campus, but you've, got, you've still got half an hour to get there, okay? So take your time. And they said, they, watched, they stood back and they watched the results of the two groups. The guys who were late, which group do you think stopped? <laughs> the guys who had some time. The guys who were late walked straight past him. They didn't stop. They, didn't, they were on a mission. They were living a closed life. Suddenly life was about them, their marks, their appointment, where they had to get to, what they needed to do, and so they weren't they weren't open. And sometimes it's not hurt or whatever. Sometimes it's just we just become thinking of ourselves. We just our vision has changed from Jesus touching the world to 
just, I've got to get to my appointment on, to, on time. None of them were open. The guys who had some time, they stopped and they engaged and they helped and they did something about it because they weren't under the pressure. That's it. So sometimes it's not hurt. Sometimes it's just the pressure of life that causes us just to live like this. I want to encourage us this morning. Maybe you're under pressure from life. Maybe you're under hurt or something like that. Let's deal with that. Let's bring that before the Lord and let's live the amazing life, generous life that He's called us to live. Amen. Come and stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. With our eyes closed, church, can we just open our hearts and our hands to God as an act of surrender? That, Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Clean my heart, Father. Wake in my heart, Jesus, as an act of surrender. You can move away next to the person next to you and just spread your hands. And let us surrender to God, church. Let us surrender to heaven this morning. That, Father, I lay down my life before you. I'm coming back home. I'm coming back to your feet, Jesus. Where only you are Christ. Let us present everything to God right now, church. In your heart, your hurts that you've heard, the disappointments, the betrayals, the rejections you've heard, siblings, family, colleagues, business not going well. Let us just present all that to God in your heart. That, Father, I lay it all down before you. I lay it all down before you, Lord. I lay it all down before you, Lord. Only you are worthy. Only you are worthy to carry my heart. Lay it all down. Your spouse, your children, oh, I lay it all down before you. I lay it all down, oh, I lay it all down. This is a moment before you and God. This is a moment for you and God. It's going to be an amazing six weeks of fruitfulness. And today is necessary. If you have to come in front and just kneel and just lie down, this is your time. This is your time to finish this year strong. This is your time to start a new place with God. If you have to come in front right now, I'd like to encourage you to come. 
if you need prayers and if, if you just want to pour it all out and cry it all out, please come. Please come in front right now in Jesus' name. We're going to pray with you. We've got leaders who are going to come up who will listen and cry with you and tell you that it's going to be okay. That Jesus is Lord. That the encounter that Lydia had, the encounter that the jailer had, you can have it this morning. I want to invite you, if you are here and you need to pour your heart, please come. Please come now. Please come. Please come. I lay it all down before you, Lord. I lay it all down. yourself to God. we close church if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you are like Lydia if you are like the jailer and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior I'd like to invite you to raise your hand with me this morning that Lord I surrender my life to you I want this good news. This morning I believe that you are Lord. This morning I believe that you died for me on the cross. And I'm here I am today because of you. If that is you, you've never accepted Jesus. The good news I hear this morning. If that is you, please raise your hand where you are. Where you are, please raise your hand. I don't want us to end this moment with you missing that opportunity of opening your heart to God. If that is you, church, if that is you right now, wherever you are, wherever you are, 
there's a person here who has not accepted Jesus. If that is you right now, I'm inviting you to raise your hand in the name of Jesus. The jailer went against everything. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The jailer went against possibly losing his job because he had the good news. You've had the good news this morning. If that is you, hallelujah, please raise your hand. And we're going to pray with you. We are going to celebrate with you. If that is you, hallelujah. To close. But if you still need ministry, if you need prayer, worship is going to go on. If you need prayer, if you need a shoulder to cry on, if you need an ear to listen, if you need a leader to pray with you, please come in front and for those that have to go, for our first time visitors, please remember we've got coffee on your exit on your left side you will have leaders who will want to join you there to the rest of us may we take this word to our families to our connect groups and speak about it thank you for tuning in for more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at enderban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.